0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Packaging Brothers podcast. Brandon here. Today's guest is Kevin Smith from Smash Brand. This guy's awesome. Highly recommend this episode. His insights into the world of CPG, branding, packaging design, the use of data, We even get into artificial intelligence and how it's going to impact his industry. There's just a lot of really good stuff in this one. So here we go. Hey, Kevin, welcome to the Packaging Brothers podcast. Thanks, Brandon. Appreciate you having me on today. So you're kind of like the guy, like, you know how to design packaging, launch brands. You've had a lot of success.
1: I can't change a car tire or do anything like that. (laughs) But as far as like retail success with packaging that I know how to do. That's awesome.
0: How did you get started in all this stuff?
1: Yeah. So it was, you know, I found myself kind of a young entrepreneur as a kid, I would try to start little companies up and collect golf balls and sell them. So I knew there was always something there and eventually went into the military. So I went in the military at like 17, kind of learned everything there. But even through there, that time I started a little computer company. And on the weekends, I would build and sell computers. When I left, I had saved all my money up and opened up a chain of retail sports nutrition stores in Arizona. They're called NutriSport, had five stores and the gyms. So it was like my first real taste of kind of retail and like product and got to you know learn fast made no money. Like none. Retail was not where it was at. But what I did notice that those brands on the shelf, they seemed to be doing pretty well. So that was kind of like, it was that moment, I believe it was about 2001, where I'm like, I'm going to reach out to like a vitamin manufacturer and see if they'll make a product for me. And what do you know, there was something called private labeling. I didn't know it existed. And they're like, all day long, we'll make you a product. You just have to give us the brand. And it was really at that point where it started My first sports nutrition kind of company, trying to get rid of the, like sell my debt in the retail stores. And then that first company that we started really started figuring it out. And we got it to about 7 million in sales the first year. Wow! And then we're like, okay, like we kind of know how to do this now. And then just started moving into lots of different brands.
0: That's really unique. I mean, you started in on the retail side and then kind of looked at the brand scenario and said, okay, I'm seeing what's kind of working. I can replicate that.
1: Yeah. And then to be like totally honest, what would actually happen in the beginning is with those retail stores, I started an e commerce site, still made no money with it. But we got to about 3 million in sales, maybe like 1% margin. It was very tough taking out Google AdWords and like trying to sell. But what was successful is when I would private label, like we sold a lot of this product called Hydroxycut, it was a diet pill. And, but we would private label one that was similar right? And then kind of use that like like the CVS model of same ingredients, lower price. And that's kind of what took things off. Now, I don't believe in that model very much today. Like I like a lot of differentiation, but that's kind of what started it to say, oh, like there's something with having your own brand.
0: Wow. And it was like sports nutrition, was that kind of just something that you were passionate in yourself or did you just kind of see a white space in the industry or? A bit of both.
1: So when I was in the military, I got really big into working out, spent most of my paycheck, I believe, on all the big companies that I was you know, buying the magazines. And I'm not kidding. I probably spent 80% of my paycheck, like protein shakes and all of that. So it was a passion, something that I wanted to get into. But eventually when we launched our first real brand and gave it a shot, there was white space there around it. And I'm, I'm a believer that with startups today, it maybe is the most valuable thing, investing and understanding that like positioning, white space to be that category of one in a
0: sea of sameness. I mean, there's obviously this has gotten really popular. I mean, a lot of people are launching brands now, whether they're celebrities or individuals that have been in the industry or, and it sounds like you've been able to kind of figure out how to be successful or how to capture people's attention from the retail standpoint and both online, I'm guessing online and in-store.
1: Yes. I would say much more focused on retail than we are online, but I do, I still own
0: some brands today that are pure e-commerce brands that do really well, but I, I definitely enjoy retail more. So what? I mean, if, if you want to give us your secret sauce, like what are some of the things you've kind of discovered or found that have, that have kind of led you to being successful with these brands?
1: Sure. And so my background was computer science. And so I have a business partner who I haven't mentioned, and I met him at that same time around 20 years ago and convinced him to quit his job and come with me. And he was a data guy, computer science, computer engineer, at data. And so what we found out that's been true since back then, and even more so now, is Young founders or large brands, even today, is we can win with data, 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 data. Like that's what I really believe. So, with me today, when I'm developing my own brand or a brand for another company or refreshing a mega brand, we're data first all the time. And I see arguments about that online if you should be right. But it doesn't mean that all of the emotion has to come out of the brand. It just means that, like in a large brand today, in a like craft foods or whatever, you're going to stage gate a process. They're going to say, Hey, we've got a product idea. We're not going to give you all the money in the world for it. We're going to give you a little bit of money. And you're going to maybe work on concept statements. And that's like, you know, early ideas for the product. And then you're going to test them. And if some of those start to test really well. Then we're going to give you money to maybe work on what can that actually look like, develop some of the product. Maybe you'll get around to some of the messaging, maybe even some packet design. And then you're going to test those things. And then before you move that any further, you're going to develop it some more and test again. And by the end, they just know that this product is probably going to work the way it is when they activate it today in retail. So ours has always been the same thing, maybe smaller than like a large stage gated, you know, Fortune 500 or larger company, but testing everything from the uh, the, the parked idea, making sure it's wholly unique and that it really resonates with consumers. And there's like a seven point, um, like a Nielsen seven point rating scale for that, like, hey, is there a market trend around it? You know, the way that you're positioning it, is it is it entirely unique to you? Does it resonate with consumers? Is the right market size, right? There's all these things that you test for. And if you kind of get a checkbox and it's one of those, then you go into the language and you start like, how are we gonna, you know, explain this product when a consumer comes in contact with packaging, like for my brand, let's say a GNC or a vitamin shop or a Walmart, you use something called white boxing. And there's no brand context right now. You're just putting language on packaging, sometimes hundreds of variation. You're using some qual and quant, force leverage testing to then find out against these market leaders today, you know, maybe you know, at that time it's like against like muscle tech and BSN with just a white box in the right words. Can I take between eight and twelve percent market share? And we're testing that. And finally when we get to a place that where it's yes, we're winning with words and because communication is like a huge failure you usually unpack, then you move it and maybe put some design on it. And then again, like testing, testing, testing. And at the end of that you can actually estimate what your retail velocities will be when you activate them in-store.
0: Wow, that's incredible. You always start on the word side of things? Always start on the word side, yeah. Really? Always. It's almost counterintuitive to me. You know, most people start like, you know, with like visual or is it going to pop online or off the shelf or whatever, but you're saying the words. Yeah, the
1: words. But I do agree. So I think like fundamentally, there's kind of like three tiers to success. And the first one is like great product, Great brand, great retail partnership. Like at, at some level, if you're starting a company or you're large, like, those are the things. And then you tear it down. It's like, okay, what do we need to now be successful in retail? And the formula is really as simple and elegant as stand out like crazy to get trial. And then product performance is going to get you repeat because repeat is where the velocity and the money is. But that first part of like stand out like crazy to get trial is where most brands honestly get hung up on. Not many, they can't get the turns that they need to stay in the set right? They'll get disco or something else. And I believe so much of that comes down to the words. And it's funny because we'll make hires on like new writers and stuff. They want to come in with all this fun, fun, super fluffy, fun language and stuff. They have to be real with them. I'm like, hey, that's a great marketing campaign right there. But like consumers are very simple. So what we got to do here is to win and I'll say, but it's okay. Like you can bring in some of your stuff to the testing and then we're going to do it the other way, like our framework way. And it always like simplicity, clarity, those things are are what rules. You have the other places on the pack that you can get into your marketing and story and all that, but like front of pack, that three to six seconds, words, that's what's going to bring the sale. And the graphics and everything behind it need to support the brand position and it needs to stand out like crazy, but that's it.
0: How many brands that come to you or that you know about have kind of started with, I feel like how most entrepreneurs go, which is really by their gut. They're like, this makes sense to me. I would buy this. Therefore, I think I'm just going to go to market with it. Or, you know, they kind of pull out like the liquid death kind of idea of like water bottle stuff. Like, let's just be crazy, flashy and disruptive and see what we can do here versus like going the more data driven analytic route that you're describing here.
1: Not many. I'll say two, because you said liquid death. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. I had to bring that one up. I love what they've done. And it's funny because when they came out. Like, I would have bet my paycheck, like I told everybody, I'm like, this is a dead brand. Like, it's done. It's done. Like, it's not going to work. There's no way. And I eat my hat on that now because it's an amazing story. It really is. I think that, and I hear a lot of, especially like young founders, they're going to be the next liquid death. Liquid death to me is like the kid who enjoys basketball and actually makes it to the NBA. There's not many, like it can happen. There's those unicorns out there, but for the best chance, you don't, you're probably not going to use the liquid death model. But I agree that most of the people that I talk to, especially the the founders, the large brands, they're already using data. They're already using things like Nielsen bases, you know, your Unilevers, your Cloroxes. But like mid cap brands and down, they're not. And they're and it's mostly subjective. And they can still get it right and do well. There's just you're gonna learn a lot of lessons and waste a lot of money that way. Yeah.
0: When you kind of first heard about Liquid Death and you made that judgment, sorry to stay on this one. Yeah, do it. No, I love this one. No, I'm just kind of curious. Like, what do you think was so different about their branding or their approach to that product that helped them be a success? Like, what helped them be a unicorn, or was it really just a lightning strike kind of thing?
1: Yeah. Well, I've read a little bit more because I'm always curious when I'm super wrong, and um, and it made sense. So, what I and I hope this is right, and I'm not like lying to your audience right now. Is what what I read really helped them get traction? Is they had an idea that was specifically aligned around the Sober Curious. And hey, when you go out to a bar or a club right now, you're drinking that bottle of Fiji water, Evian, it's not cool. They were gonna make something that was just as cool to drink as it was to have that bottle or can of beer or cocktail. And that was what really gave them that velocity. They saw a gap in the market for Sober Curious. And And like me, I don't drink very much. And like when I would go, I would drink the liquid death. Like they would bring that over and it was actually cool. So my understanding is that like, they identified a really unique kind of white space and almost an adjacent market of like nightlife, which then bled over into mass once they had the demand. And I thought it was, if that's the truth, it's brilliant.
0: Are there any other brands that you're kind of like, these guys are doing it really, like a really cool idea, like hats off to them. Yeah. Whether it was data-driven or whether it was, you know, another unicorn.
1: Yeah, it might be a unicorn. I have no idea. It's, I'm connected with the guy on LinkedIn. I don't know him at all, but I just follow them. It was Dude Wipes. Oh, yeah. Another one. And it was like, when I was in the military, we would go out and, you know, be in the field, in the Marines. We would be in the field, and I would buy baby wipes. Like, we bought so much baby wipes. That's how you took showers. And like, we don't really talk about that, but it's just, that's how you take showers in the field. Every Marine uses baby wipes. And I thought it was genius when they took baby wipes and then repositioned them. For guys, dude wipes. And then I think I just saw this morning that they already are surpassing 100 million in sales. And they're the fastest growing company in that category. Like,
0: wow, it's awesome. That's cool. That's really cool. I have some questions about AI and data and analytics and everything that's kind of coming in that world. Do you know, are you kind of following some of the stuff that's happening with those techs? Yeah, I'm making investments with it right now. I think it's a big deal. Yeah. And in like specifically the packaging design or data-driven kind of launching space too, or? Yeah, absolutely. How do you think it's going to change the game for you?
1: Yeah, so I think on agency side of any agency, whether you're, you know, brand, marketing, for me, I'm specifically around like brand. I believe, again, I'm going to use another military term, but they would call something like, a new technology, they would call it a force multiplier. So you could take a, you know, a group of eight guys and you give them a drone and they're effective now against 20 guys in the field. That's a multiplier. I think what you're seeing with like chat GPT and different technologies is it's going to be a force multiplier for the agency. So for example, how we're integrating it already is typically, you know, I think the most valuable work to be done is usually in the beginning of somebody comes to you and it's like, Hey, we've got a can of water. Great you gotta position that thing, right? You gotta position it, like I was mentioning, making that thing like highly attractive, category of one, stand out, turn those baby wipes. We do this so often, turn those baby wipes into dude wipes. Like, hey, you came to us with baby wipes, but we got this idea, like let's make them for guys, right? And then that's what makes the brand tick off like crazy. Those kind of things where you have these like very, very expensive and very experienced strategists that usually need a planner to do lots of like, pull market data, pull research, give me the context of the competitive space. What we used to see take 40 hours, we've now got where within ChatGPT, we can just edit a few things and we've got all that information we need, not 40 hours, but in about 12 minutes. And it's not replacing their work, it's just enabling them to get the work done a lot faster and more accurate. So that's like the first part of it.
0: Do you think that AI will really be able to capture, especially on on like the visual design part of things? Because I'm seeing the eye tracking kind of AI technology with designs, like rating designs on where the eyes are going to go and how it's going to rate and all that. Do you see much overlap there or impact? It's hard for me. I'm
1: big on like for all of our data, you know, we bring in real customers. Like that's where you find out. So maybe every time you're testing, a thousand come in that are going to be, hey, these are, you know, 70% female that are shopping in the, you know, the wipe category in target stores. It's hard for you to imagine AI to understand all of the perceptions that a real human has in that category mindset that they shop for getting it right. I just haven't seen it yet. Like we've demoed so much stuff and I'm like, Mm-mm, no, it doesn't perform like with real audience, not yet. So that is hard for me to imagine it being replaced. Like where I do see it being interesting is let's imagine that we were going through some concept testing right now and it can notice patterns really well, right? That's what computers do. And maybe you have all of these design concepts and you're testing with real consumers and it's noticing that these ones in red are performing really well. So is it the color red that matters or is it the actual design itself? So what it could do is it could go change those other concepts that you have that aren't performing as well to their main color as red, quickly reinsert them and saying, is that what was driving like purchase intent or interest? And if so, now the other parts of the design are actually going to have a chance to maybe rank up. That's where I think AI could be like crazy interesting of like real time, like data analytics and making small changes. That's the stuff that I'm trying to make investments in right now. We don't have anything that's working yet, but it's... uh I do think there's a future there.
0: Yeah. Just kind of curious and you don't have to answer this but are you thinking of starting something in the space or are you kind of piggybacking on some company that's already there? We're piggybacking
1: right now. So we have all of our own systems for testing. So all of our consumer testing that we do from like communication and design and everything that that you know all the smart people here are working on as we test with computer, we own that. But right now like our analysts and stuff they come from Kantar and Nielsen and it's a lot of time. So what we're trying to see is like, can this support them of like plugging in AI pieces that are already being developed somewhere else? We may do our own if we could prove it, and like it again, like it creates a multiplier for them instead of analyzing this raw data for 30 hours to find patterns, letting that thing find patterns in a matter of a second, and then making like changes to strategy quickly.
0: Well, I know that we have a lot of brand founders and other people that are just involved in launching brands. If you had some just some real nuggets, like top advice for these people, is there kind of either currently launching or maybe rebranding something or thinking about a line extension, what would be some of the advice that you'd want to share?
1: Yeah. And it's from the thousands of companies that we've talked to, and we own a lot of brand. Like the one thing where I honestly see most young founders starting out is, is they start the product. They're like, we've got this great product. We need to have that. So let's throw some packaging on it. And let's start selling this thing like crazy. And with that, you're going to learn a hell of a lot of lessons. And you're going to spend a lot of money. And what I always say, and again, The conversation from a young founder versus a large, like, or kind of large brand doing a line extension is different, but for a younger founder, back it up, glad you have a great product, but really, like, where you're going to find ultimate success, if you can back that up and start with, like, segmentation, really understanding who is the customer that we're selling in today. Where are they spending money at? Like, where should we actually activate this thing? Starting with, like, segmenting out the audience and not with personas, but, like, real consumer segmentation of, like, where dollars are being spent in channel. That is like one of the best investments that you can do. And then when you see that, then it's like, okay, how should we position this, this into them? That And so much of the work that I've done, I think over 20 years is they kind of come in with one idea. And I'll give you an example here. We've got this revolutionary new juice drink for kids, right? We want to get into Costco and everywhere else. It's really low sugar. It's going to be this better for you juice drink. And we're like, okay, great. And then as you start really looking at the consumer segmentation and like who's spending money on these products, oh, this is gonna be like a wealthier segment that can afford you know, where your product's gonna be priced at. And you start really looking at the data, it's like, what do parents want? Well, they want their kids to drink actually more water with less sugar. So as we get into positioning, it's like, hey, what if we position this as, because it's, it's a watered down juice product. That's how they come to us. Well, what if we position it as a lightly juice flavored water? Like, and then when you test that concept, it's like 70% more purchase intent over the idea that they had. And the whole point of that is, is once you understand the audience segments and you really start looking at where the white space is and how you're going to position, the word water before juice or juice before water can be the difference of going to market and failing and actually, you know, hitting that first $5 million in a year. Like, and that's what happened. And I think that's where most founders really don't. They think they've got the idea. It's right there. Got to be great because this is how I know it. And this is how I love it. But the majority of the time, That part needs tweaking, and it's the place I would visit. Hopefully, that that makes sense.
0: That's a great example. I'm sure, just because I'm I'm trying to think as a brand owner or founder right now. But all this sounds amazing. How much does this stuff cost? Can I ask that question in a general way, or does it really depend on each kind of specific account?
1: Yeah, I mean, so with us, like if we're working with startups, we're not cheap. But I will guarantee them. I can guarantee what sales will be. So I will write you a check back if you don't hit those. And I'm gonna be somewhere between $50,000 and 250000 on a startup to like that initial stuff to make sure that we put this in retail, it just sells like crazy and I'll put guarantees behind it. The thing is for not every founder, you right, has that like majority, if we're working with younger companies, they've got some kind of like investment dollar behind them. And those investors are like, this cannot fail, call Smash brand. Like that's where we don't do any marketing. Like most of our business comes from that. Like they've known us from the brands we've created and exited, but founders can do this stuff. like by themselves, like we know how to do it. We're going to fast forward that for you and create a whole ton of value. But if you don't like, and you want to do this on the cheap, you could do things like, hey, I'm going to take $2,000 and I'm going to go to SurveyMonkey and I'm going to find, have them find me 200 people that I believe are the right audience. and I'm going to start testing my concepts with, like you can do it yourself on the cheap, but bring that data in. Because if you see something and it's like, hey, if you're asking people if you'd buy this concept idea and you're only getting like, you know, 20%
0: or something saying yes, don't keep investing in that work on it right there like stop. that's great just kind of curious because you've seen a lot of data and a lot of trends is sustainable packaging really a thing with consumers Are is it actually impacting the decisions they're making when they're buying products yeah so what is interesting to me
1: is that i would answer this question a bit differently up until a few weeks ago so what i was seeing over the years, is that almost every company who calls you, they're like, you know, we want sustainable. We're going to be sustainable. We're sustainable. And I've always believed that if you're a company and your values and what you're doing out there, like the Tom shoes or, you know, something that is really positioned around like saving the earth. If you're not sustainable, you're done then. Like, so you have to own that because that's who your brand values are. Now, if Kraft Macaroni and Cheese calls you and says, we want to be sustainable, like how much is that really going to drive the needle when that's on the box? Like, I don't believe very much at all. So it's kind of like, where are the values in the company? Like, is this something where it's talking about they're maybe a food product? And because they're grown in vertical farms, they're very sustainable, everything that they do has to be around that mission. But last week, there was a big report that came out and it was from a combination of McKinsey and Nielsen IQ. And they showed the link finally, like it's finally happening between ESG claims or sustainability claims that it almost across every category it showed if you can make those claims on pack a higher growth for the brand category independent i'm sorry across all categories yeah wow it was yeah mckinsey nielsen iq research shows link between esg claims and higher growth and it was almost across all categories in like fmcg
0: now was that just packaging or was that just general sustainable natural organic kind of Topic overall, or is it really dialing down into specific sustainable packaging claims?
1: I believe it was around like real like products. So I'm reading it here. They looked at 100,000 SKUs, 44,000 brands, 32 going from beverage, personal care, household categories, all of it, right? So like anything FMCG products with sustainability claims grew faster than those products without claims and they grew up to 170 basis points faster.
0: Wow. Do you think this is a like A blip and then it's going to return to normal? Or do you think this is going to be a lasting trend?
1: Gosh, I don't know. It's a good thing. Like, we try to look out to it, like, you know, where the growth audiences are. And now, me as a Gen X, like, I'm, you know, I'm over 40 now. And so I'm no longer like the primary shopper demographic. Millennials kind of took over. Right. And those things mattered more. And we started seeing with the data, like, those mattering more. And now you got like behind that, you know, Gen Z matters a lot more. And they're starting to become in the shopper consideration. What I'm wondering is, they're starting to see that like that trend come up because as i am aging out like they're aging in and then we already know that with like gen a that next one coming around it's going to matter like they're going to change a lot of things i believe in retail we can't talk to them yet they're too young like my kids are gen a but these are things that they actually really really do care about so brands that, like those huge brands that are out there that are smart they'd be making investments today to grab those younger shoppers that are coming up wow so I have a feeling it's not a blip. Yeah. I think so too.
0: Yeah. What's the best way for people to find you?
1: Yeah. My website, Smash smashbrand s m a s h b r a n d dot com. Go over there. I'm happy to if there's any especially if there's any, you know, young founders and entrepreneurs, one thing I'm always happy to do is kind of pay it back and just talk with them, put them on the right track. It's always a pleasure.
0: Perfect. Kevin, thank you. Thanks, Brandon. Appreciate you. Well, thank you so much for listening to our episode today and a special thanks to Kevin for uh, coming on and chatting with us real quick. As always, feel free to reach out. We'd love to hear from you. and until next time, take good care.